Hello and welcome to another le- another episode of Literature for Life. Um, hopefully by now you get the gist, but just in case you're working backwards like I tend to do, um, this is a podcast where we talk about some of the stories that mean most to us. Um, and this is, of course, part of the excellent and most wonderful Femon Collective. Um, so today I'm joined by an exceptionally talented essayist, author and teacher, Natalie Saber. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here, to have been um, invited to talk about a book that really helped to form me as not only a writer, but also as a young woman trying to figure out my way in the world, how I wanted to be. That is exactly what we are here for. Yes. Perfect. This is our jam. Um, Okay. So uh, please, could you tell our lovely listeners just a little bit more about yourself? Certainly. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I am the author of a book of short stories called Shout Her Lovely Name. It was a New York Times notable collection, and it's linked stories, which means that there's recurring characters in each of the stories, which is also true of the book that I've selected for us to speak about today, I've also written a memoir about my experience with breast cancer called Community Chest, and I publish stories and essays in literary journals and online, and I'm currently working on another collection of stories that are linked with characters that recur in one another's lives. Oh my gosh, this is why Alison said that you're the real deal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, that all sounds amazing. I'm so excited to talk about the book that you've chosen today. Um, I don't, I don't read a lot of short stories, but I think, I think I want to. Um, I've just never, I've just never, I, I've just never sort of decide. Like they've just never been on the sh- like on the shelf ready for me to pick up. But I think I definitely uh, want to get into them. So I'm, I'm really excited to to hear about. Um, this book that you've chosen. It's funny because I think as we become more and more um, creatures of the internet, creatures of hopping around from TikTok to Instagram to short, um, glitches and and glimpses into experiences and lives, the short story seems pretty relevant as far as how much time it takes. Granted, my stories tend to be a little long, but it's still, you can have the satisfaction of reading a beginning, middle and end in one sitting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also with the linked characters, Mm -hmm. because I think you get so invested in a character um, and then they've got another beginning, middle and end, Uh which is brilliant, right? Um, I am trying to write a novel (laughs) and I've been trying for a long time and what I've learned is just how much you pour into characters like Mm -hmm. just how much you think about those characters so yeah it's pretty cool that you are creating linked stories with those characters because it's nice to give them please go ahead it's nice to give them more than sort of I guess one short story right and then you also don't have the job of uh world building with each 
because you've already created a milieu in which these people exist and navigate in and out, you know, out of one another's lives. Just like in our life, you see somebody at the grocery store and then you discover they live down the street and then you um, find out more about their life and there's intersections that are really interesting and important post-COVID, right? Post oh my gosh. Being yeah. so isolated, it's kind of nice to think about the Venn diagram overlap we have with individuals in the world. It's nice. And I think it's also really important. Like I know myself, um, I can very easily slip into like Hermitville <laughs> where I, I don't want to interact with anyone. You know, I, I'm, I'm very happy just kind of um, keeping to myself and like reading books and stuff. And then when I do have social, uh, social occasions, not even just with my friends, but like going into the office and interacting with just, just generally, I am reminded about why that is so important. Um, and, and, and actually sometimes, you know, sometimes that actually gives me energy. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's nice. It's also incredibly important post COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but yes. Okay. Brilliant. So please, can you tell us um, a little bit more about the book that you've chosen? Sure. Sure. So I was in college. Um, this was, I'm 61. And so this was in, the early 80s and somebody said to me oh my gosh um you know she had some it was a loose connection it like we're talking about like somebody that wasn't a close friend but said I think you would really like this writer Ellen Gilchrist have you read Victory Over Japan and I hadn't and I went <clears throat> and read it and absolutely fell in love with it for so many different reasons um I grew up as an only child of a single mom in the 1960s who my mother made herself available to um, the uh, drug revolution, the sexual revolution, feminism, everything. And it was a complicated childhood. And um, when I read this Ellen Gilchrist book, I keep wanting to hold it up, but I realized <laughs> I'm not be able to see it. Um, uh, as a young woman, I was like, wow, this is amazing because the women in this book are mistake makers. They make no apologies for their appetites and they have interesting wild lives that don't really cause a lot of harm for them. Whereas my mother's life, I guess if you weren't her daughter, you could say she had an interesting wild life that didn't cause a lot of harm. Um, but there was repercussions, you know, in, in my life. And so to read about these women who were unapologetic, um, who asked for what they wanted, took what they wanted, both in the world um, in their relationships with men and, but just in their relationships with their time. Um, it was liberating for me to read about, it, it kind of gave me permission to have a sense of freedom that I didn't feel from watching my mother's choices. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So I, I did it give you a new perspective on what your mother, on, on her experiences? Well, what it did was it kind of took, you had, do you have, um, when you take little kids bowling here, they put up these bumpers. Yes. So bowling yes. ball can't go in the gutter. Yes. I feel like living the life I grew up, I had bumpers that were oh, okay. limiting, limiting to me because I wanted to feel safe in a world that 
felt unsafe. Okay. And by reading this book, I looked at there was still a way to live a full life, to not be apologetic for yourself, to not sort of buckle yourself in super tight without having repercussions that caused pain or problems for other people. Yeah. Now, granted, it was fiction, but it did open up the world to me in a way um, where I could believe in freedom and flamboyance and fun um, and allow that for myself. Whereas before I felt pretty timid. And so that was a giant gift when I read the book. Yeah. I mean, I, that, uh, and that is the beauty of fiction, I think. And that's why I love reading fiction. Um, I went through a stage of reading nonfiction because I, I was like oh, self-development, but I would just lose interest because I I need storytelling and I need um and I think a lot of people need to almost um see themselves or or a relatable experience in what they're reading and I think that's what draws us close um and it sounds like that's kind of what you got in a way um from from reading this book um yeah. I think it's interesting what you're saying too, though, about um, fic needing fiction. And I, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people say to me about my work or, and by people, I mean, my husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, is it true? Did it happen? And if I'm reading a novel or stories, I say, yes, it's true. And no, it didn't happen because the emotional truth is there. And by reading about what people can survive, uh, we learn how resilient we are. I always say I read to feel known. I read so I can feel like, oh my gosh, people make the same mistakes as me and they're not beating themselves up about it and they're surviving it. And that to me is the huge gift of reading fiction um, and memoir as well. But I don't know, there's something about fiction that you can become fully absorbed in the other world and it feels outside of you, but also kind of of you. Yes. So one of the things about the characters in this book, um, there's a character whose name I am is uh, Rhoda Manning. And she, um, it, and most of the stories take place in New Orleans and she comes from a very wealthy family. That is not my situation at all. And so for her, the choices that she makes and the mistakes that she makes, she has a safety net like you can't believe. And so that is something that I always also took into account. Like maybe you only have freedom if you're if somebody's going to catch you if you fall. Yeah. Um, there's another character in the book named Nora Jane Whittington who does not have this situation. And in fact, in the beginning, she's a petty thief um, to accomplish what she needs. And she too, it's funny because in her stories, the world sort of rises up to meet her. So when she is in peril, in a way that doesn't feel like... Um, the, you know, a DSX machina, like a God machine coming in and saving the day, but feels pretty believable. Things just happen. There's serendipity mm. that 
aligns her life in a good way. And that too was a gift for me because of the way I grew up, I grew, I was anxious. And to be able to read where, you know, maybe things aren't all that bad. Maybe you should trust the world a little bit more was also um, a gift as yeah. I was reading. Mm -hmm. um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like um, in, in at this point, instead of seeing a character that had lived a similar life you were seeing almost the opposite and you, you were kind of learning from their from mm -hmm. their story mm -hmm. yes but there were also aspects of it that could be similar like mm. you know the freedom to speak your mind without worried about repercussions the freedom yeah. to say no without worrying about you know rejections or repercussions the freedom to be an independent person um I also want to say I wasn't a petty thief, so I also didn't have that. <laughs> we'll just add that to the record. Yes. Okay. Not a petty thief tip. <laughs> but it's so funny too, because there's one story that I earmarked in the Nora Jane um, section in which she um, is, is, she arrives freshly, she's 19 and she's arrived freshly in San Francisco from New Orleans and her boyfriend whom she's come to meet doesn't meet her. And she is at sixes and sevens. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She has no job. She has very little money. And um, she ends up meeting this bookstore owner, which was also great in the book because the book really the, the stories really value art and it definitely comes through with music and authors etc that are mentioned painters um and she meets this bookstore owner and they strike up a friendship and then end up um becoming boyfriend and girlfriend and there's a conversation in the third story about them in which they talk about her IUD um you know her birth control and it's so frank and back in 1980 whatever I couldn't imagine having a conversation that frank you know just straight yeah. up like I felt like things had to be wrapped a little bit in privacy and there were certain things that you didn't talk about, even though that wasn't the case in my home, mm -hmm. but I felt like I wanted to be a little different than okay, what was yeah. in my home and my home in which I was growing up. And so that to me was, was wonderful to read about, you know, her just speaking exactly about what is going on in her body and the story progresses and she decides to have the IUD taken out. And then she, her old boyfriend comes back in the scene and in different um, moments, she has sexual, she has sex with the new guy and with the old guy, and then she's pregnant. Um, and then she doesn't take very long to decide that she's going to keep the children, the babies. And so here she is 19 no safety net, doesn't know whose kid it is, doesn't know what to do. And she has these neighbors that are, um, have sort of taken her under their wing and they, you know, talk her through it and help her and do some throwing of the I Ching. And it's sort of this mystical thing that comes in that's quite delightful. And then Ellen Gilchrist does this magical realism where she's pregnant with twins and one child is from each of the men, you know, so that she's got two oh. different fathers. And then the the embryos have voices. And oh, it's just, I love, love that. It's just so funny and fun and freeing. And it's yeah. like, normally you would read a story about this in the 80s that would be so fraught and overwrought and yeah. 
with so much moral dilemma. And there's just something frothy about the work. And then, you know, you are a little worried about how things are going to turn out. And then what happens is, I'm sorry, I'm ruining the story for everybody. No, but I just use, use this as an illustration of the freedom of Ellen Gilchrist's writing. So she's driving her car on the Bay Bridge over the San Francisco Bay and an earthquake happens and all the cars are stuck on the bridge and she's alone in her car and she looks over at a station wagon and there's a woman with something like five preschoolers in the car and she doesn't know what to do and the children are frightened and crying and so she bravely gets out of her car. The radio is on saying, stay in your car, help is coming. She bravely gets out of her car and runs over in an aftershock to the station wagon and jumps in. And she is like a salve, a salve. She's like a balm for these children. And she's so full of joy and light and she sings to them and everybody's having this grand old time in the car when the rescuers arrive and the story ends there. So you have no idea what she's going to do with either of the two men. You know she's keeping her babies and you know she's capable on her own. So it's not even tied to how a man is going to step in and rescue or not rescue or anything at all. And that to me, you know, as I watched my mother look for a father for me through my whole childhood was just such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I love that they are uh, women focused. I, abs I I love that so much um, because you're right. There are so many stories about men swooping in to save the day. But in reality, life is full of women who who like stuff like life happens to them mm -hmm. um and they just deal they just figure it out um and that I mean that sounds a lot like what my mother did like she 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 was basically she she moved continents with me as a young girl in a marriage that absolutely was not working she left all her family and friends behind and she was just like just gonna make this work and you don't get like I think having that written down because mm. what I'm hearing is it's it these stories are peppered with like challenges like there are there are there are things that happen that mm. are challenging and that uh, provide like conflict and you know there is there is some sort of moral dilemma but it's not posed in such a negative way I'm hearing mm -hmm. a lot of like positivity I'm hearing a lot of like um like you said it's it, it's frothy there's almost like an upbeat nature to it mm -hmm. and I think that's what a lot of women do like stuff happens challenges challenges like they come across hurdles and challenges and and they not only do they make, make the most of it or, or or find their way through it but a lot of a lot of them do it with a sense of humor and because sometimes that's that's all you have <laughs> when stuff you know like that sometimes that's all you have and I I it's yeah I think stories like that are so so important mm. there's a lot of playfulness that is in these stories and um 
And it's not just in the women's responses to what happens in their lives, um, but it is also in the way Ellen Gilchrist writes. She's mm. not afraid to jump POV. She's not afraid to jump time. She's not afraid to make an embryo have a voice. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't draw everything together in a neat bow at the end. It just opens out into these endings that are just fantastical and yet satisfying it's it's like i don't need to know if if nora jane whittington is going to end up with freddie or sandy i need to see her in that station wagon in the midst of an earthquake on a bridge suspended over water singing with children it just does everything for me yeah absolutely that that i think is a gift to maybe be a little weightless or Mm -hmm. um not as fraught in your own life yeah there's you know, a sense maybe that's of, naive, but yeah, there's a sense of fearlessness almost. Um and the playfulness that you talk about. I mean, um, just like in my own writing recently, I've been trying to add in a bit more playfulness and it makes it more enjoyable to write. Like if you've got your roadmap, if you like you're like, I'm gonna write a novel, and you've got your whole roadmap out, okay, cool. Like I've got 20 chapters to write, like, and and then all of a sudden you're in the thick of it. And you've spent a long time with your characters and you spent a long time with the plot. Like it can be a bit boring. <laughs> so I think it's great. Like the playfulness also helps the writer. It makes it more enjoyable, I think, sometimes. Obviously, it depends on what you're writing and and, and who the writer is. But for me, I've, I, I have found it so enjoyable to add playfulness into what I am writing. So um well, yeah. if you're writing and feeling bored, you can be pretty assured that your reader will feel bored too. Yeah. So take that as a sign to consider to sit back and look over the writing as a whole and think about where can I inject something surprising? Where can I have some humor or lightness? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you've had just a con- uh, the same emotion throughout and it's time for some variation. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think part of the problem is I'm on like draft zero, you know, and you're just throwing stuff <laughs> onto the page. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, this is rubbish. I'm going to fix it later. It's fine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because um, remember, you have to build that block of marble exactly. and to chip the statue out of it. Exactly. You don't get to just go find it already made and then, you know, yeah. start away. And that marble is starting with she entered the room and then she left like you know the marvel is very it's very basic the marvel is basic yeah no um but I absolutely love that and I love what you were saying about mistake like mistake makers because I feel like um I went through a stage in my early 20s where I was a mistake maker and I feel like at the time I had I had that element of fearlessness that I think um Ellen Gilchrist writes about which I've obviously lost now because that was like seven years ago. So I've completely lost my fearlessness. But when you have it as a young woman, it's actually so powerful. Um, so to be a mistake maker with a, with that sense of freedom, like I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so I think like I, I love that that is like written down, but I'm keen to know that sort of what it was like when you first read this book and then and then what it did for you, like, because um, because it sounds like you were, you were almost craving that that sense of like it's okay to be 
like a bit more free than what I feel I am currently? Well, um, it's funny that you ask this because I just wrote an essay about this called Mirrors that is about the time that I was reading this book. And um, I actually um, got married very young. I got married at, um, as I, I think I was 20. I wish, I, I don't know why, but the dates and numbers are maybe deliberately fuzzy for me. But my husband was 13 years older than me. And I, yes, I loved him, but I also definitely married for stability. Yeah. I definitely married for stability. And um, I went off to college uh, because before that I had had three jobs and was going to what we called in the States at the time, community college, or we called it junior college back then. And then I transferred to university and I was a dance major, um, but I had an injury and shifted to an English major and then with a writing emphasis. And that's when I read writers like Ellen Gilchrist and Laurie Moore and um, Laurie Colwyn. And I found they were like my cool aunts. You know what I mean? Like yes. the that you get to talk to about your problems that gives you life advice that isn't your mother. Yes. Although they were probably close to my age, but um, they, the voices of their characters were showing me a different way. So particularly Ellen Gilchrist um, really gave me the courage to say, I want to be a writer and also the courage to leave the marriage. Um, so during the time that I was reading these books and graduated from college, I ended up um, leaving the marriage and, you know, being brave without a safety net because the marriage definitely was a safety net for me at that time and also was kind of achieving what my mother had shown in our house was the main goal having yeah. a man uh-huh yeah I mean, that's incredible so how old were you when you left the marriage I was 23 or 24 so I was married for five years and what actually drove me to leave was my grandmother took me aside and said that her life began at 40 when she divorced her husband, my wow. grandfather. And I was like, I already thought I was old at 24, which is hilarious. But I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be alone my whole life. I've, it's better than saying my life began at 40. And then seeing how these women in these books lived so vividly, mm. consequences be damned, Um and Ellen Gilchrist, you know the saying, put your character in a tree and throw rocks at them? Have you ever heard that saying about make life complicated for your characters? I've not heard that saying, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember who said it. Some white man said it. I don't know who. Oh, yeah. But, um, but she does make things complicated for her characters, for sure. And yet they manage to keep their sense of humor, to keep a roof over their heads, to laugh, mm -hmm. to have girlfriends. The girlfriends are a huge part of these stories too. Yeah, so that's excellent because life life is often incredibly complicated, um, and I think especially for the for anyone picking up that you've also got to think about who your reader is, and for anyone picking up that book, you, you know they're obviously obviously doing it with, with like looking for something, I guess, and life is often incredibly complicated. So 
I think it's great that she makes her characters complicated. I think most most characters should be complicated, you know, because yes. that's where we see the relatability, you know. Right. I had a teacher once who said to me, make your serial killer an expert diaper changer. Like, <laughs> have, you know, always have, you can't have somebody that's all bad or all good or all yeah. anything. Yeah, none exactly. of and so speaking of that, I do want to also address in case any of the listeners are like, I want to go read that book. I was absolutely embarrassed, I guess, and surprised by the racism and anti-Semitism in these stories um, that I don't remember. I mean, I remember, and they are set in the 70s in the South in the United States. And our country is steeped in racism still. Um, but I was surprised by how accepting the characters were, particularly the rich white young woman who is daddy's favorite. And mm. I don't think those words, why in the world would that surprise me? Yeah. Um, and I was actually horrified and thought, how am I going to have a conversation about this book? And then there's um, a moment when the character is going to pawn her wedding ring and the man in the pawn shop is Jewish. And there's a lot of anti-Semitic comments about that. And I don't, I'm not saying that we should overlook that at all. Um, and it sort of comes to the question of what do you do with literature of a different time um, that doesn't call itself out? Yeah. And I don't have an answer for it. I just don't want anybody to leave this conversation and think I want to read this, this book and then be shocked by what they read because mm. it's definitely in there. And I would, I actually was thinking of picking up um, some published diaries by Ellen Gilchrist to see what her thoughts were or are, or if she looked back um, because it's not pretty. Mm. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the fact that um, these things are often so complex and also our experiences um, with stories like this are complex. So mm -hmm. I, um, one of my previous conversations I had for this podcast was about a book called The Power of One, which is based in um, South Africa at the time of apartheid. And um, my guest had, she took so much from that book. Like that book was incre incredibly, um, like it, it, it really helped make who she was because of what she took from the book. But she was, or she also said the same thing in her most recent reading of it, she was completely blown away by the, the, the racism in it and I and I think when we're younger and also in a different context because I think mm -hmm. I think the young people of today are a lot more switched on to this whereas you know when um when each of you know each of us as a younger person just because of the societal context would not have been as switched on and so we would have drawn different things from these stories and I but I think that is still incredibly valid like your experience with this book is still incredibly valid but it's it's incredible it's so important that you've 
that you've mentioned it because you're right we don't want our listeners to go off and you know buy this book and and then read it not knowing that that is not 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 anticipating that that is in there and I think some might still want to read it just to understand um just for historical context Mm -hmm. um like you know placing this book um at that time Mm -hmm. it's it's the book the book is political because it was one of the first books that I've read where women were completely at the center. You know, Anna Karenina steps in front of a train. Nobody in Ellen Gilchrist is going to step in front of a train. None of her female characters are going to do that. You know, Emma Bovary uh, takes poison. Her characters aren't going to take poison. They're not going to put rocks in their pocket in a, like Kate Chopin. They are going to be women who deal with the fact that they have appetites and their appetites make them make poor choices. And I'm not just talking about sexual appetites, although that's part of it too, but just an appetite to live large. Mm. And I think that was a very political statement at the time that she was publishing these books. The racism and anti-Semitism that is in the books, I think the difference may have been for me, not that I wasn't aware of it, but it felt like a fait accompli. Mm. You know what I mean? It didn't feel, it just, it just felt like reality. Um, She doesn't make it okay and didn't make me um, unaware of it, but it also, in the same sense, I guess that I feel powerless now. It was like, it, it, this is terrible and this is the way it is. And I feel powerless in my position. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I will say that there's another character in the book whose name is Tracy Lean. And she is the nanny and maid to um, another white woman who's rich and who has married for money and lives in new orleans and she is black and she is the smartest and funniest person in the book and the most loving and the most trustworthy and i don't think it's like i don't remember the term but there's a term that people talk about now where it's like the oh the magical black person the magical negro i think they call it is the term Mm -hmm. and it's not that she doesn't come in and rescue and change and teach the white people anything because the white people are so wrapped up in their own you know their heads are so far up yeah (laughs) yeah but she brings humor and knowledge to the stories and it's a pleasure to read her stories for sure but I don't think it erases what comes beforehand yeah yeah um yeah I mean I think there's I think there's still a lot to draw from this book you know because because like you say um I had a conversation recently about lessons in chemistry, um, oh, uh-huh. which is amazing. And it, and it literally puts the female experience, well, you know, the experience of the woman in the sixties, I think like as uh-huh. part of the story um, and even being published recently, I think it was so popular because it still felt like we hadn't heard that like, we hadn't really seen that story a lot, you know? So I, I can only imagine what it was like reading this book in the eighties mm-hmm. um, to have women so centered. And that's literally what this whole podcast collective is about. Like we want to talk about the female gaze. We want to talk about, um, 
placing women in the center um which is exactly what this book does so it's it's you know it's still incredible it's still a very very noteworthy book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes but I'm I'm really keen to know um whether you think this this book has influenced your work as a writer at all Mm. um I think that it made me fully fall in love with the short story form. Um, I think that the, I don't change point of views in the middle of a story. I would, I just couldn't imagine doing that in the way that she does, but I love her authority and her trust in her own decisions. Um, I love the way she makes jumps without over describing things like there's one moment in a story where um the character Nora Jane fi- she's come t- she's flown from New Orleans you know she did her petty theft got the money flew from New Orleans to San Francisco to meet up with her boyfriend he never he doesn't show up she finds her way to his house this is of course pre uber or anything like that and she um is waiting for him and stumbles upon a love note from another woman and she read the love note is included in the story. And the very next line was Nora Jane was starving. So it's not <laughs> like anything about like how upset or disappointed or weeping or, you know, angry or anything. It's just like, you know, addressing her appetite, addressing yeah. her as a human being and what she's going to do to take care of her hunger at this place where she has no money and no car and like a Snickers bar in her purse. Yeah. Um, so I love the way that she trusts the reader to make the leap. Too. Yeah. She creates gaps, right? Yes. She creates gaps that the reader has to fill in. And I've been picking up on that recently. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I prefer that so much to like adding, adding all of that in. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really important sometimes for you to add in those gaps. And the other thing that I think that she taught me that it's okay to to do and to appreciate in our own experience as women is the interiority, the train of thought, the way that the women jump from one thing to the next and how it makes perfect logic. Whereas from the outside, it maybe doesn't seem logical, but as you read it, it feels like you're intimate with these people, you know, these people, you kind of wish that you could call them in the middle of the night when you're sad about something, right? And um, I just, I think she knows her people inside and out. And I think that comes too from choosing to stick with a character from story to story to story. I mean, it's just the sign of 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 a wonderful character isn't it like if you're like if you feel like you know the character by the end and and also these are short stories I know they're linked but still they're short stories and if people are getting to the end and feeling like they know that they know that character I mean that's that's the goal (laughs) I want to say that I love is there's a story um um but about um Rhoda and she's a teenager and she's driving her family crazy you know, and her mother has put her on a diet, which it's also really interesting to see those kind of things, like what oh, society yeah. and young women. And she, um, 
the story is just so, it's like a firecracker. And so they send her off to stay with some like noble countrywoman, God-fearing, and you know, it just doesn't settle at all. And off she goes into the town. She finally found enough money to buy herself a pack of cigarettes and she flirts with this boy and pardon me, she ends up and, and the boy the father is the boy's boss and he's like, oh, I'm going to have sex with the boss's daughter. That's like his whole goal. Right. And she thinks he's just in for her. So it's also about like our misconceptions, how we're so misled when anybody strokes us. Right. Oh, yeah. And so off they go into the, with a blanket into a meadow. And then her father, you know, finds out and he's furious and she's fighting with him. And he gives a lot of money to to the church and she's against it. And she says, don't you have my name on those checks? You know, so she's like, she's powerless, but she is like saying, I don't want you to affiliate me with things I don't believe in. And then he puts her on a plane to go home. And the very last image of the thing, of the story is, it's a small plane. It's like, you know, he's just getting her out of where he is. And she's sitting up near the pilot and she pulls her skirt up to expose her knees. So it's like, (laughs) she learned nothing. She learned absolutely nothing, which is also great. Like, why does a story have to be moral? Do you know? So it's delightful and of course she does that she's like 17 of course that's what she's going to do and yeah. I liked too yeah it's I mean in a way she's created a very realistic 17 year olds yes totally, you know? totally. Um, I thought I think I learned that too that you don't have to because I in one of the classes in college as an undergrad you know we were reading Aristotle and all kinds of things and it was the the art is supposed to teach and delight And I'm not so sure about the teach part unless the teaching is that you can survive emotional turmoil, right? Or the teaching is that you're not a bad person because you've made a mistake. Yeah. And and those are both incredibly important things Mm -hmm. to, to learn about yourself. And, And that's, and that's why, I, and that's why I love to have these conversations. And that's why I think these stories are, are so important because I don't open a fiction book ready to be taught something, you know? Like, that's why I stopped reading self-development books because I was all taught out. Like, I was, you know, I was like, I pick up a fiction book for for a multitude of reasons, but it's mostly like escapism. I want to, you know, like... I want to be absorbed in a story. I, I want to be taken on an adventure. But it's but I think no matter why you pick up a book, every every story has has the ability to teach you something about yourself. Um, not even something about the wider world. Obviously, fiction can do that, but it's more about yourself if you see yourself in a situation or a character and it could be Mm -hmm. the smallest thing like survive like you said like surviving turmoil or just Mm -hmm. like how we cope with life (laughs) a lot of what these characters seem to be doing is just coping with (laughs) with with life stuff which is as a as a fully fledged adult I think I can say now I think you can such, (laughs) such a skill such a skill to just be able to cope with with what life you know with what life throws at you 
And I know that it sounds like a lot of these women are kind of, um, life isn't just happening to them. Like they are going out into the world and making their own mistakes. But mm. even still, like it's, it's, I think survival, resilience, uh, and just, just coping with life, I think is a skill. And as an adult, there's always so much stuff in your brain. You need to be reminded of these things mm. now and then. Um, right. So right. yeah. There's another moment in one of the stories where um, the the female character, Rhoda, has um, sold her wedding ring, right, to wedding ring to the pawn shop. And then she's made an insurance claim on it, right? So she claims she lost it. And the insurance, the, the insurance broker comes to her apartment to deliver the check and she's got to continually lie. And she's flirting with him and he's flirting right back and they make a plan to go out and she feels like maybe that's the cost of doing business you can get the sense i mean yes she wants to go out with him but also she feels like maybe this is the cost of doing business because he might know i'm lying and as they go out they have this very heated you know kind of um flirtatious passionate dialogue and he is lying too he's married with a baby and he's telling her that he's not married and she asks him several times and then at the in the very last paragraph they both come to realize that they're both lying and yet they go forward with the night and you know that <laughs> best sex ever yeah yeah but accept the fact that they are damaged liars yeah. and they're going to satisfy you know their egos yeah because that's part of the human experience like right creating that you know creating that fantasy um like no I don't want to be hit with reality again I live in reality like that is not what I need right now it's all elements of, of human experience and what I love is readers will take from it what they will like not every reader will take the same thing because it's yeah. all different tiny elements, like different fragments of the human experience. Right. Um, so the beauty of that when the way it ends is then you turn the page and there's another story about her and she's not depressed. She's not beating herself up. She's not mad at herself. She just is continuing. Uh, on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a life. <laughs> to to yeah, be I'm rid of the I shame. <laughs> no shame, no consequences. Exactly. No, no sheer like hectic anxiety. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a life! I want to be this guy. <laughs> no, this sounds amazing. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't want that, but it's just fun to read because oftentimes it's the men do, that do that. It's the men that get exactly. to act and not feel bad or have consequences. Exactly, um, mm -hmm. because when women do, we're often like we're slut shamed. You know, we we are shamed for what we want our experiences the mistakes we make men a lot less so um mm -hmm. yeah no this sounds I mean yeah it sounds brilliant um, I know that the the listeners can't see this but I have to just show you this is my copy of the book and look at what happened this time when I was reading it it completely like fell oh, no. Apart. <laughs> oh no oh my gosh how long have you had it since then since oh, really? college yes I mean you've got I'm, a very impressive for the listeners you've got a very impressive bookshelf behind you <laughs> um yes I do and I rely on them all the time I I uh I can't find the price here to let you know oh it was seven dollars and 90 cents at the time that I oh, bought it 
<laughs> makes me sound so old. I shouldn't have said any of that. You know? No. Oh my God. I mean, $7.90. I mean, if I wanted to buy a book now, it's still, it would be like eight. Eight pounds ninety nine. Books have really not changed that much in price. Oh, they have here. They have oh, here. Really? Oh my gosh, yes, very much so. Oh wow. Okay, so that conversion just doesn't work. Um, brilliant. That was that was such a brilliant chat about a story that means a lot to you. Um, so thank you so much for coming on this podcast and chatting to thank me. Thank you about so much for book. having me. It's been it's an been absolute pleasure. Yes. Um. But before I let you go, um, please, can you let me know where people can find you? Um, yes, thank you for asking. Uh, they can find me at my website, natalieserber.com. And also, I have a Substack newsletter that comes out twice a month. Um, it's called Read, Write, Eat. And in it, I talk about books that I'm reading, I talk about writing classes that I'm teaching, where you can find me online. I give a writing prompt or I recommend a good book uh, about writing a craft book um, or other people's classes as well. And then the eat section is a recipe, um, something that I have enjoyed cooking lately. And um, it also talks about where I'm teaching um, I'll be teaching in France next September. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds yeah. amazing. And you can find that all on my website too. Mm -hmm. um, I must say that I had a quick look on your website and I saw like one of your read, write, eats and I absolutely loved it. I think it was either read, write, eat or watch, listen, snack. But yes. So in, during the pandemic, I changed it from read, write, eat to watch, listen, snack, because unlike the people who, you know, wrote a novel or started a business, had, yeah, they were achievers, yeah, room to their house. <laughs> I, I was barely hobbling along and I thought sometimes you just can't read, write, eat and you just need to watch TV, listen to a podcast and yes. snack on some cake. So I changed it to that, too. Um but the Substack is um, the updated version. And if you just Google Natalie Serber Substack, you can definitely find me. Or I don't know if you'll put it in collateral um, information about the podcast. We absolutely will. We're going to stick all these very important things in the show notes. Um, but yes, I, I saw some of your recipes. They look delicious. I also read a little... Um, excerpt where you said that um, I think it was body 101 and you were like all I want to do is be able to get up off my get up off the floor without using my hands and now that is one of my goals <laughs> that is never mind bikini yeah never mind bikini body I just want to be able to get up off the floor without using my hands <laughs> Which I, I have to tell you, it, I feel the way about bikini body, the way that I feel about guilty pleasure. Okay, if you have a body and you have a bikini, you have a bikini body. You don't Thank need you. anything other than that. It's ridiculous. And even if you're in Collieu in France, while I'll be teaching, you don't even need the bikini top. You just need the bottoms. So don't, you know, if you could see the parade of womanhood on the beach um that is they all have bikini bodies and every bikini body looks different yeah. and the other thing I want to say is I hate the term guilty pleasure if something gives you pleasure why in the world should you feel guilt about it unless you're causing yourself or somebody else harm 
Agreed. So let's just get rid of bikini body and guilty pleasure. Let's just agree on that. So beautifully said. And that is exactly why listeners should go and read your Substack because there'll be so much more. (laughs) Thank you so much, Natalie. This has been perfect. I've loved loved this conversation. It's been fantastic. It's such a pleasure to get to know you. And next time you go down a little hole of um, wanting to be alone, you know, just send me a text, send me a WhatsApp and I'll keep you company. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye-bye.